Fidget, a BFRB podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is Fidget, a podcast for your BFRB toolbox. And we are very excited to have a guest here with us today, Tyler Costello, who uh, we connected with through one of our previous guests, Sarah, uh, BFRB mama. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. <laughs> and yeah, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, yep, I'm Tyler, and I'm generally excited to talk about all things, including BFRBs. Amazing. We're just kind of doing this spontaneously, uh, which is great. As Tyler mentioned earlier, that's how the magic happens. So, um, so the context that I have, Tyler, is very limited, and it is from a quick Google search <laughs> and um, hearing you speak at the, the BFRB conference a few weeks ago. And you were part of a, a panel focused on recovery. And maybe to start off, if, if you could share a little bit about what is your relationship with your BFRB? How did it start for you? So for me, I would say that there's two portions of my life. And the first, in regards to my BFRB, and the first portion is the time where I wasn't in distress from my BFRB. I think sometimes, you know, I'm not a doctor, but a lot of whether you have a BFRB or not isn't whether you engage in the behavior because everybody picks their skin, everybody pulls the hair out here or there, everybody's bitten their nails one or once or twice. But like when it starts causing you distress is when it becomes a clinical BFRB is my personal understanding. <laughs> so as a child, the things I remember the most is like if I got mosquito bites, I would scratch my skin until there was no longer a mosquito bite. And now I had an open wound or a scab or, you know, whatever that may have turned into. But the main thing was I felt some deep urge to get rid of the imperfection on my skin. So it all started with, you know, having through the summertime, I would have scabs all over my legs and I would pick the scabs off even you know, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. And then as I aged and I hit puberty and then it really started hitting me, maybe I want to say as late as 19 or 20, I started having a lot more emotional distress and having a lot more responsibility living on my own and dealing with all of these feelings and emotions that obviously I wasn't prepared for I didn't have the tools to process properly and that's when I started picking skin on the palms of my hands and that's when I would I like to say that it turned into what I prefer to call excoriation because the word just sounds way more extreme and it better defines the severity of my BFRB at the time that's when it got really rough and I would like pick the skin off I would there was times where I would super glue my hand shut again so I wouldn't be bleeding out. I would cover my hand with band-aids, wrap them up with tape, you know, everything you could imagine. Just because when your hand when you're bleeding from the palms of your hands on a regular basis, like the most embarrassing thing is if you like get blood on a piece of paper or something nasty, you know, or what would mm -hmm. you think would be perceived as nasty from other people that may be judging you. Right. So that's when my depression was at all time high, my, my stress and all of the other things I had to deal with were at an all time high. And that's when the BFRB just like really flared up. 
and it got to a point where it's like I can't even live like this. Like I can't shake somebody's hand. I can't lift weights at the gym. I can't do anything. And I'm having pain from my palms of my hand because I'm walking around with it an open wound, basically. And so it was about 2015, and I was, like, really having problems with it. And I ended up talking to my, my mom's the one that found it because I guess she probably just, like, noticed and didn't say anything over the years, as moms do. And then she's like, I don't know how she approached me with it because I probably would have denied it if anybody else tried to talk to me about it at the time. But she told me about the conference and I was desperate and I said, oh, okay, I'll go. And that was, I believe, the 2016 conference in Dallas, the TLC BFRB conference in Dallas. And I went to that. I was a scared, timid, I don't know what I'm doing here and what is wrong with me type of mindset. And then I was introduced to a few people. I started taking the set, going to the sessions and everything kind of just like changed for me. I got really close with Christina Pearson, who is the founder of TLC and she's an amazing woman. She led me down the path of mindfulness training. And I would say that for me personally, mindfulness training is the most valuable tool that I have in my own personal tool set to manage BFRBs and also just existing as a person. Mm. It's like a lot of what I feel is the root of what causes me to engage in my BFRB is distress. And a lot of times it's emotional distress and having stuff that you can't process. And so the way I cope with it is I'm going to engage in my BFRB. I'm going to pick my skin. I'm going to pull my hair. I'm going to have some sort of release to deal with what's going on. And the mindfulness training basically took me to the point where I can stand in uncomfortable feelings and I can accept that I have these feelings that are overwhelming and that are traumatizing and all that. And I can just let them pass. I can acknowledge them. I don't need to redirect that uncomfortable energy to something like a BFRB. You know, I can just sit with it and say, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. And that's okay. And it doesn't get to the point of just putting me into distress because it's a feeling and I acknowledge it for the feeling that it is. And then eventually the feeling's gone and I have a new feeling. It might be happiness. It might be something of much greater value to me. That's the lowdown, really. I feel like I'm rambling now. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Shout out to mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, that's the first time I've heard that actually, that a parent sort of directed you to BFRB resources. Do you have any idea how she found out about it? I kind of questioned her briefly, but it was also at a stage in my life where the less time I could spend talking about BFRBs, the better. Yeah. But my understanding is that she had friends growing up or as an adult, whenever, at some point in her life, she had friends that experienced uh, struggles of their own with BFRBs. So she was more aware of it than I was as far as what was going on. And I think because she knew that, she knew the right things to Google and that led her to TLC and that opened the door to everything that happened after that. And that's how we ended up here. 
you you know you've always um say had your bfrb but there's been the uh, pre-distress version post-distress version and you're maybe now in a a period of recovery you feel i would say a hundred percent in recovery have been for years now two mm -hmm. years i would say and I don't like to define what the recovery is really because I don't want to give anyone expectations that might not fit for them. But for me, I'm not having any kind of distress related to my BFRB. And on a really hard day, I might notice, you know, like, oh, I'm shaking my skin a little bit or, you know, that's weird. My fingers are going back to the same place they used to hang out at. But it, it never really manifests beyond that point. For me right now i mean knock on wood right that could change tomorrow but yeah that's where i'm at you say the two year two years is how long you feel that you've been recovered approximately did you was there a turning point at which you were like oh i'm recovered or is this more in hindsight you feel that looking at patterns that's your interpretation now i think a lot of it really has to do with like when i like, for example, when I went to my first conference in 2016, I thought that I had just met, like, the people with the answers, mm. right? And so I come home from the conference, and I'm in my hotel room, like, on the way home, and I, re I like, started picking my skin again. And I realized, like, I'm not cured because I went to this conference. Like, it didn't just magically fix all my problems. So I was, like, holding on to this thought that... Even going to the conference, I was like, yes, like I'm going to this place and they're going to fix me. and I'm going to come out and I'm going to be a whole new man. And I'm not ever going to worry about BFRBs ever again because I'm going to be totally changed, totally fixed. They're going to cure me and it's going to be magic. And then I got to that hotel room the night after the conference was over and I was like in the mirror, like having to cover the mirrors, not looking at it and realizing like, holy moly this is not over you know mm -hmm. like i thought it was done when i left like all right we're good check <laughs> i'm done i'm cured it's over and then like it was just like a getting hit by a freight train when i got into that room alone i held on to that like desire to be cured for a very long time and i think that really inhibited my recovery for a long time because I had these preconceived notions as to what the recovery should look like. And that was absolute no BFRBs anywhere at all. No skin picking, no nothing. And the reality is that that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. And so I started volunteering with TLC. I was on the Millennial Task Force that has now evolved into what we know today as the YAC or the Young Adult Action Council. And they do a lot of great work. You should check them out if you're interested. But basically, I started volunteering and, and learning and just like absorbing on the job, I guess you could say. And I got the mindfulness tools from Christina. I got information about the science behind it and why. And I think for me, understanding the why really helps me process everything. And I got to a point where I just let go of what my expectations were. And that's when I really, like, my behavior really changed when I decided that I'm not 
here to tell myself what that's supposed to look like. I'm here to find out what that looks like. Because mm. initially, I was the one dictating what my recovery was going to be. And I said, this is what recovery looks like. I'm going to be cured. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is not, <laughs> that is not how it goes. Yeah. Oh, that's really profound. It's like, I think, you know, we were so like arrogant before be, like going down this recovery path of, you know, we, even though we haven't cured it, we think we know what like the cure looks like. But um, I like what you said of like, you know, it's really, it's the body letting you know what recovery is. It's not what you kind of imagine it to be. It's like, who's driving the bus here? And yeah, for me personally, I, I, I also had this very rigid definition of, mm, you know, I think this is what it means to be recovered, or this is what it'll feel like when I am recovered. But I was so wrong about that. Um, yeah. And I think just to touch back, because I don't even know if I answered the original question or not, I don't know an exact date. <laughs> because it was a gradual thing that only happened after I let go of my expectations. Mm. And it was like one day I woke up and I'm like, oh, that's weird. I haven't picked my skin. I can't remember the last time I did that. Yeah. That's bizarre. You know, and it's like, oh, is this what the recovery is like? Am I there? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and I just keep telling myself like, no, you don't know what it's going to be like. And then I just keep progressing to a point where it's like, is it gone? Mm. I don't know. But the second that I stop practicing the techniques that got me to where I am right now, don't think that I've never stumbled back down the road to where I was at. I've fallen down the hill plenty of times compared to, you know, you just get back up and you keep going. You know, you have bad days, you have days where like, Let's say I'm regulating my feelings by exercising and using mindfulness. And then I have a week where I don't go to the gym and I don't practice my mindfulness training. And then look at that. Here's Mr. BFRB back knocking at the door. And it's like, you can only expect that to happen if you stop doing what you were doing to get to where you're at. Mm, totally. What does your mindfulness practice? Um, yeah, like within a given week, what does that look like? For me, it's a lot of like early morning meditation. Like I wake up and I have time to think about how I'm feeling. I have time to process whatever was upsetting me from the day before. Or maybe I have totally forgot about it at that point. But I just give myself time every morning to process, decompress and prepare for the day. And it's just as simple as that. There's a lot of more like extreme mindfulness training that you can do but as long as you're like aware of your body and your feelings and you can acknowledge them for what they are i think that's like the most basic and simple and also effective tool that you can have from mindfulness is to identify how you feel and why or maybe not even why but that you feel a certain way because a lot of people go through their life, you know, there's people that don't know what their feelings are until they're in marriage counseling 20 years from when they got married. And they're like, oh, wait, I have feelings I need to acknowledge. You know, it's it's not something that everyone does, even though it sounds so simple. 
That's a really good point. And I think uh, like just reflecting on what my last couple of weeks have been like, I've had a lot of stress, a lot of like new experiences, changes in my life. And I got to say my BFRB, the last two days, like I noticed my bald spots are more visible than they've been like probably in a year. And it's really challenging to realize that because, you know, just a few months ago, I think recording with Lucas, which is probably going to be just the last episode, I was saying like, wow, you know, like because the my BFRB is doing so well, I'm able to focus on other things. And um, I felt like quite recovered. So I guess, um, yeah, I, I'm wondering like, how do you, you mentioned that sometimes you go down the path of BFRBs. Do you have a way to sort of catch yourself or at what point, like, how do you realize that, oh, maybe you're slipping a bit and like, maybe you need to pivot. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that that is a complex thing because, and I know we were focusing on mindfulness this whole time, but in reality, it's a combination deal, right? It's, it's taking care of my body in all the ways that it needs to be taken care of. And mindfulness is just one portion of that. And I think it's also important that your toolkit can never be too big when it comes to dealing with your BFRB. You're never going to get to the point where you say, oh, I don't need to gain any more skills in managing and dealing with my BFRB. I'm totally fine. You know, you want to be hungry to find things that help you no matter how good you're doing in recovery. And I think part of that for me is like staying involved and talking about it and seeking out the science and the research. And, and when we find out something new, then reassess the things that I thought before, because it's, it's an ever changing world. And, and every year that goes on, the BFRB community is gaining more and more knowledge and we're getting better and better at managing BFRBs. And you got to stay tapped into that. Having a community that's as good as TLC and having the connections, having a support group, having people that you know you can just call, like even one friend that has a BFRB, like that makes all the difference. And it's it's not like any of those things are individually of great significance, but when you add them all up, it turns into, and I think I touched on this during the conference this year is that that, that's the safety net is like every single tool in your kit is a thread in that net. Mm. And, and the more, the more tools in your kit, the bigger the net you have to fall into. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. You're yeah. I love what you said about the, you're always eager to gain new skills and, you know, expand your, your, your tool belt. That's, that's so good. And yeah, on this idea of, you know, the threads in the net, like so many points can potentially fail and, you know, it's just one thing that catches you. Right. Um, And just all those different redundancies, Um, it it could come from anywhere and you you never know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to touch back on the, the original question, I don't always stop myself when I'm falling back down into that. I don't always stop myself when I'm engaging in my BFRB. Sometimes I just acknowledge that I'm doing it and I say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm picking my skin right now. That's what I'm doing. This is my BFRB. And that's what it is. 
it's not going to help me to have resistance towards this behavior that I know I'm going to engage in at some point in time. It only adds to the weight of it if, if I'm trying to fight it from happening. You know, if it's, it's going to happen eventually, and I'd much more rather focus on being okay with that than trying to stop it completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and that's something I've been observing in myself again, like, just because it's so recent, like just today, you know, like the, the act of pulling and then thinking it's that internal dialogue of like, why, are you, why are you pulling? Like, why is this a thing again? And then it's almost like the contrast with the feeling of recovery. I almost make myself feel worse about it. Cause it's like, well, you were doing so well, but you ruined it. You know, like, it's just so easy to fall into that and believe myself um, through that process. So I think trying to approach it as more acceptance, I guess, and then acceptance and then moving towards, okay, so what, what else can I do? What else can I try? I, the, the metaphor of the net that you described at the conference and just now uh, really resonated with me and in a way that it helped me understand how I see the BFRB community, but it also helps me compare how I see it now to how I used to see it. Like I think before when I was just finding out about BFRBs and just seeking out support, it was like a beacon. It was like, this is this kind of like what you were saying about the conference, like this will cure me. This is the only thing. But like comparing the idea of a beacon to a net, it's almost like, oh, okay. So there's this one thing that you can depend on and that is your only hope versus like, oh, you're actually, you're strong with all of these different factors and also on your own. And the net is there for supporting. And there's so many different components of it. So I think it's a really helpful metaphor. And I think it goes even further than that too. And I totally agree. But like if the community and the tools that you have are the net and you're simply just one strand in it, it doesn't matter if you're failing at that one time, the net can still catch you. It doesn't matter if you're having the worst day of your life and you just pulled out half of the hair on your head and you have no external skin left, you know, all the tools that you have and all of the people in the community that you can rely on are still all there. And Mm -hmm. not all of those things will fail at the same time ever. And I think Mm -hmm. that is the most important part of everything. Mm -hmm. You can't rely on just one thing and it's, it, it's the same with the expectations, right? You know, like I will be in recovery when I don't pick my skin at all. I, you know, why are we setting these standards of perfection when we're so obviously meant to be imperfect beings, I guess. Mm. Like no one's ever going to live up to that. No one is ever going to always be 100% of who they are. You know, some days are bad and and some days are amazing. And some days you feel like you're totally done with your BFRB and it doesn't even exist. It doesn't bother you. And then the next day, it's the only thing that you can see when you're looking in the mirror and you can't even, you know, comb your hair or or shave or anything of that nature that day. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. As long as you accept it for what it is, then you can move beyond that to, you know, there is a good day that will come after the bad day 
and there may be a bad day that comes after you've had a great streak, but it, it's it's more important that whether the day is good or bad, that you get to the day that comes next. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, I, someone, someone told me recently that, uh, you know, no one's, no one's right all the time. And that's good because that also means you're not wrong all the time either. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so, yeah, what a, yeah, like what a like balanced perspective that you just gave us, Tyler, that um, y- you're right. It's like going back to what Adele was saying about the beacon. It's like it's putting too much pressure on the beacon to like fully provide all the support that you need. It's like, you know, that one beacon isn't the answer for everything. And not one thing can be that. It's you need so many different answers from so many different people. And really what what should um the way we should think about it is like like you said, gathering as many tools as we can, building out our network as much as we can, building those connections as much as we can. Cause you never know where help's gonna come from or when you'll need someone or yeah, when you can't rely on something anymore, but it's okay. You have the skills to maybe find the help in different ways. And when your friend doesn't pick up, you have another number you can call. Mm-hmm. It's important. You know, you can't just rely on one person and you can't just rely on yourself to figure out something that's so complex. I mean, there's a whole organization that's dedicated to getting people help for BFRBs, but somehow still people with BFRBs exist. You know, it's it's not like something that's going to go away. Um, one question I had just in terms of the stats, maybe you know these off the top of your head. I can't really remember, but I want to say 75% of people with BFRBs are women, but I could be wrong. There's just, there's it's disproportionately um, at least represented by women. And I don't know if that's because maybe they report it more, maybe it's just more, more um, common. I'm not sure, but I was curious about, and like Jason, you as well, um, whether either of you had any thoughts on, has that been part of your experience? Like, have you noticed that when you've been interacting with the BFRB community, Um, like being, I, I guess, not having as many men represented in that group and whether that's affected you in any way um as far as the true statistic goes i can't say that i know but i will say that it is my personal belief that it is almost as common in both men and women and the reason that i believe that even though the visual numbers may not show that is because like number one if it's trick and you're a guy you can just shave and no one will look at you twice. So it's much easier to just hide your BFRB than it is to publicly acknowledge that you have one in a world where showing emotions and mental struggles as a man or a young man or an old man is not something that's always been the most socially acceptable decision to make. Yeah. So I feel like the numbers don't tell the whole story because... You know, it's one, it's easy to hide it. Two, we don't want to talk about it. And three, 
it's just totally uncomfortable to acknowledge that you have something that you can't control when it's your job to be strong and control your life in whatever way that is, you know? So I think they're out there and we see more and more guys. Like the first conference I went to, there was maybe three guys in my, you know, near my age, not even in the same age group. And, you know, maybe 10 guys total in the whole place. And then it was like the next year there was more. And the next year there was twice more. And then this year there's like an all male support group for BFRBs. It's like every year there's more and more people coming out of the woodwork. And, and that has a lot to do with, you know, making the connections and getting the word out there about it. And it's like, people are getting more and more comfortable about just being honest. Mm. And I feel like next year, there's going to be even more guys out there that you're going to see. And it's just going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, I would, um, yeah, I would say something similar, Tyler. I don't think the numbers are, um, yeah, I, I've 75% was the same number uh, floating around in my head. And I'm also not, maybe, uh, yeah, I'm just skeptical about it. Cause I, I feel like these, these behaviors so linked to stress and I think, yeah, like everyone experiences stress and it, it just comes out in, it comes out in weird ways. And um, yeah, it's how we maybe categorize it or I I've done some like, yeah, very rudimentary scientific data analysis with my coworkers recently. And every other person I talk to like grinds their teeth or something like to that effect. And, you know, um, they like bite their nails. And I think, yeah, not a lot of people make the connection that, oh, this is like related to stress. I think for some people, it's like mild enough that they don't have any curiosity about it. I think, you know, Tyler, listening to your, your story about, you know, the, the super glue and, uh, you know, when it gets so intense, you're like, like, I have to figure this out. Or, you know, like other people notice and they're like, you know, we got to figure this out and it becomes a crisis. And then, you know, it kind of forces you to confront it. But yeah, maybe when it's in a milder form or, or, or whatever the case or, um, yeah, I, I, I like what you said about um, there's this expectation that you know, it's my job to control and I'm not going to show emotion. And um, yeah, you know, the, the underreporting associated with that. I, yeah. I think you bring up a good point. And in the point at which I had to be at to even acknowledge I had a problem, you know, I didn't actively go, go to a place where I wanted to express that I had this problem I was dealing with and tell the world about what was what was going on with me it was only because I had no other choice or felt like I had no other option that I finally broke down and was honest about what was going on it's not because I I chose to of my own will I felt as if there was no other way and that was the only point at which I was willing to be honest about what was going on with me yeah that's a really good point part of me is wondering as well um just from my own experience of being in middle school, for example, and having friends and like the amount of attention that we put on what our hair looked like or what our nails looked like and sort of expectations of what, what women are supposed to look like. 
and how that might interact with BFRBs or how it might maybe like push women to sort of think, oh, I need to address this like maybe sooner um, just because even if it's just aesthetic, um, it becomes like a, a point of concern. Whereas it sounds like for you, it was so painful. And that was like the, maybe the original aesthetics of it weren't as much of a concern. Like, I, I'm just so curious about why why this would happen. I think like, yeah, it was painful for me, but the pain, physical pain I've experienced from my BFRB has never eclipsed the shame that I felt from having a BFRB. Mm. Even with the biggest, worst open wound I had from picking my skin, it couldn't hold a candle to the weight of the shame and self-loathing that I experienced because I felt as if there was something wrong with me due to my BFRB. I very much echo that sentiment. You know, I think there was a lot of painful things uh, for, for my BFRB. Yeah. It, it, it was on my hands the most, not so much on my palms, but kind of on the, the backs, like were my joints. So it hurt to like grab anything, bend anything. Um, but uh, there's an, a certain sense of like pride. Like I was almost like proud of how much pain I could endure and bear and like, no, I can get through this. And I was almost like, you know, like stubborn about it of like, yeah, that hurts, but like, I, I know I can do it. There's that physical pain, but what you said about that social, emotional, like when somebody asked me like out of the blue, like I wasn't ready and they're like, oh, Jason, like I noticed your hands that like sharp, like, uh, like that, that was the thing that hurt the most. And, you know, mm -hmm. I could do whatever I needed to do. And if it was just like, oh, it hurt, it stings my hand, but that's okay. I'll just do it. But for somebody to like call me out on it, that was the thing that like really hurt. Yeah, it sh it sh it makes you shook when that happens. Yeah, because it, it's like you're going through your life, and it's like, okay, I have these tapes wrapped around my hands. I have the super glue. No one knows but me. No one has a clue that I have a BFRB. But it's like if you went to my keyboard and turned it upside down and skin fell out of it, it would be blatantly obvious that something weird was going on. But it's like personally, I was like so worried about the shame that would be associated with me from doing this type of behavior that I was like, I convinced myself that no one knew. And the second that someone even gave me the idea that they may know that something was up. It was like sending the alarm off like the worst. That was like, hit the red button. This is doomsday scenario. <laughs> Somebody knows that I pick my skin and that is not acceptable. Mm. That was way worse than any of the pain or anything else was when somebody found out and I thought nobody knew. Mm. Because then you're crushed. It's like, who else knows? Hmm. You know, who else knows? And I'm so shamed. And what am I going to tell people? Because it's easy to tell someone a story like, oh, you know, it's especially shameful when they catch you in the act. Like nobody knows. But it, it, if they see something wrong, I can make up a story. I can say 
you know, oh, I accidentally cut my hand on the lawnmower or whatever you're going to say. But when someone catches you and you are peeling the skin back and you are doing the behavior, you're pulling the hair out, your teeth are on your nails. It's like then you are caught red handed and you cannot explain your way out of that. So it's like you got to be honest about it. And if you get caught in a moment where you have to be honest and you're not ready to be honest with yourself, that's a rough place to be. I I was um, describing this to a friend the other day, and I don't think they really understood how much pain I was like inflicting on myself. Like they were like, Jason, you should have just told me that you were scratching your own skin. Like I, that, you know, to me, that's no different than, Oh, you, you cut your hand, like you fell off your bike or something. And I'm like, it may sound no different to you, but like, that's the, it's a world of different for me. The amount mm-hmm. of, yeah, like not being in control over my own body. Like that's is that, that idea was so just painful for me. And it was so hard for me to admit. And that was the thing that I needed to get over for myself. Like, for you know other people might not care they're like oh jason you know you you scratch your skin but like for me i cared about that so much um and i didn't really realize the weight of that until i yeah could start saying i could just start admitting it to myself like i scratch my own skin i scratch my own skin you know i scratch my own skin that was that was something I had to distance myself so far away from. And yeah, in the middle of it, I had no idea how painful I, I made it out for myself to be. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange. <laughs> I think that that's another thing to mention about the pain aspect is like there's a level when I'm personally engaged in my BFRB, there is a level of dissociation going on where the behavior is happening, but I'm not aware of it. And that's like the main thing that mindfulness can fight is like being aware of what's going on. But like I would pick my skin for who knows how long, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, who knows how long it's been. And I would come out of it on the other side. And then I would realize the damage that was being done. It's not like I was ever intentionally trying to harm myself. It was always being in some type of like trance like state coping with emotion by engaging in my BFRB. And then after I was done engaging my BFRB, that's when I'm like, Ooh, my hand kind of hurts now, you know, Mm -hmm. like what, what happened? Right. That was a question I had because I've heard different answers from different people about how much pain they feel in the moment. So it sounds like for you in the moment, do, do you feel pain or it comes afterwards? Sounds like. I think I'm just like, it's almost like engaging in the BFRB somehow affects the reward system in your brain. Right. So like you're getting some type of like, I don't know, is it dopamine? You're getting something by engaging in the behavior. So you're in that reward system loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that really overshadows any type of like physical pain for me 
is like, I am getting my fix right now. I am picking my skin and I'm feeling good. And I don't know what's going on in the real world because I'm in my own little world and I'm zoned out and I'm getting what I need right now. And that's like the whole thing, I guess. Yeah. I think the wires are crossed or something, right? Yeah. Like what was feel, what would have felt like pain is, yeah, some, some reward thing. I don't know. Yeah. I, I've noticed that sometimes where, um, I don't know, for me pulling my hair, it's like most of the time it actually feels good. Um, but then it's really strange because sometimes there's like certain hairs that like that, those ones hurt and like for no particular reason, but it, it kind of shocks me in the moment. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, like, ow, that hurt. Like <laughs> this is not what I was looking for. And then sometimes that's actually a distraction um, and it enables me to break the cycle. But mm. more often than not, it's just like, oh, that was the wrong one. I need to find a, a different hair that is that will feel good. And and it, I just find it so interesting to notice how like certain kinds of pulling, like waxing my legs, for example, that has nothing to do with the feeling I have when I pull out hair. And I think from the outside not experiencing that, it would be easy to think, well, or I remember actually someone telling me that one time, they're like, well, you know, instead of pulling from your head, like, why don't you just pull from your like legs or something? Then, you know, two birds, one stone. And it was kind of like, that's not really the point. (laughs) 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 And it doesn't feel the same. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Some, I think I like the mixed wires analogy. (laughs) I have actually, there was some times where I like documented my skin picking and I don't know if you guys are ready for this but I just found like this gnarly picture from when it was pretty bad and I'm about to email it over to you if you're cool with that (laughs) sure Sure. so you can see like the severity of what I would be going through and not even know all right I sent it over Check okay. that out. <laughs> this is the kind of thing we'd put on our Patreon. <laughs> Be a member to see this. No, I'm kidding. You could. I mean, <laughs> but you can just. There was obviously pain involved, but it was never the forefront of what I was doing. Mm. Right. Like, you get to the point where there's no more skin left to pull off. Oh, wow. (sighs) And that's the point where it was like, I can't ignore what's going on anymore. Like, it's not like I can use a whole bottle of super glue to close this up. Like, I got to do something. And it's like the perfect place to go is like right along the lines, like a palm reader. And you can just like get right in there and get the, get the show on the road, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Tyler, my, my heart, it hurts, (laughs) but thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. And I've come from that to nothing. So yeah. That was the main thing is like, you can be at a very, very low point. You can be 
in total doubt that anything will ever help you. You can be in a place where, you know, you don't see the light. And that's still a place where you can climb out of. Mm. Like that, There is no place that's bad enough that you can't get out of it. Like you can always start building up your toolkit, even if it's just, you know, if you don't do anything now and tomorrow you think one good thing about yourself, that that's one step in the right direction. You know, it's, it's not like you can never make it away from rock bottom. It's, it's not a hopeless endeavor to try to get some help, even if it's um, taking baby steps. Because it definitely took baby steps for me. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Um, I um, I wanted to ask, like, so I also my my uh, my scratching really became severe around when I was nineteen twenty. Uh, yeah, like moving away, <laughs> moving away from home. You know, I was I was uh, in school. Like, yeah, just a lot going on. Do you? Um, I don't know. When you think back to that time, do you have like more clarity? Do you have more like perspective, more wisdom? Like, are you able to better put your finger on like, this was what my mind was going through at that time. And I don't know what, 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 like, what can you learn from 19 year old Tyler? I think that looking back, I just really, was not prepared to process emotions in a healthy way. And that when I felt an emotion that is uncomfortable or could be seen as negative, whether it's sadness or anger or anything in that ballpark, 19-year-old Tyler thought that was not a place that you could hang out. That if you are sad, if you are mad, if you have these emotions, you shouldn't be having them. Yeah. That that they're bad emotions. And the truth is, looking back now, is like emotions are not good or bad. They're an indication of what's going on with you. And 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 nineteen year old Tyler did not know that. Nineteen year old Tyler <laughs> thought there are emotions and they're either good or they're bad. And you do not want bad emotions. If you have them, that's bad. Right. And, and it, the reality is that some of my biggest breakthroughs in my personal life came from times where I had to sit with emotions that I once thought were bad. You know, like, why do I have this great sadness? You know, this is telling me something. I can learn something from my emotions. I don't need to fight the message, you know, the emotion is like a messenger. Like, <laughs> I don't need to fight the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. Like, what is my emotion telling me? What's the message I'm trying to give to myself? Yeah. And, and being able to accept feelings that are uncomfortable or hard to deal with is really, it's a profound thing when you finally can sit with emotions that you don't like to feel and accept them and say okay, this is how I feel. And, you know, I might be uncomfortable, but I am okay. Mm. Don't kill the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> and that's so, 
that is so relatable to me. And I think um, it's sort of how I've been seeing my BFRB as well as, as a messenger. So it's like, there's motion. If the motion isn't quite, because I, I think I do something similar in that I, I don't, I don't really allow myself to feel anger a lot of the time. It's something I'm working on. Like that's night. That's bad. Like don't be angry. You mm. have to be happy all the time. But anyways, so it, it's almost like if the anger isn't getting to me and it, if I'm not like feeling the anger and therefore I'm not addressing the source of the anger, the, the, the challenge, then it's like my body is trying to reach further and it's like, Oh, okay. So let's, pull out our hair like maybe this will show you like something's wrong you know like you're not feeling this emotion let me show you um the idea of the messenger I think is really helpful in like bringing a name to how I've been perceiving it I think we've talked about indicator it's an indicator of of how I'm doing Mm. but yeah that's cool yeah I I also very relate to to what you just shared um I think when I was 19, I was obsessed with this idea of like being happy all the time. And like, I thought that was what, like the goal of life was just to maximize as much happiness as you can. And um, trying to like, yeah, like optimize my day or like figure out how to like increase my happiness points um, and try to explain away the sadness, explain away the anger or you know, anger is not a useful emotion. It's not a productive emotion. Why, what, um, why are you feeling sad? Like sadness is, if you're, if you're feeling sad, you're being ungrateful because look at all the things that you have, you should appreciate all of it. Other people have so things so much harder than you. You should only feel happy. You're only allowed to feel happy. And I think that was very much the, the story that was going through my head of, yeah, like, you don't, I, I wasn't giving myself permission to feel those, like you said, bad emotions. Um, and I, it showed up on my hands. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> same thing happened. But, so uh, it's, and I don't know if it's just because I, I was so affected by accepting my emotions that I think this way now, but the emotions that you have that are uncomfortable are like what gives value to the other emotions you have. Mm. It's like in the same way that your own mortality gives value to the time you have alive, your time that you spend in sadness and anger give value to the times in which you are the most happy. And I think that once you think of it that way it's a lot easier to sit with those emotions that are sometimes uncomfortable because then you know like there is value in these emotions there is value in all of the things that i feel and it is not i do not dictate the value of my emotions Mm. they all have equivalent value I really like that. <laughs> Tyler. So um, much to think about. <laughs> My brain is exploding. <laughs> <Just holding it. laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe that's our episode. I um... thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for you to say that. <laughs> I I've forgotten how we wrap these things up. Um, do I? Are you gonna? <laughs> <laughs> I can I can start, and you can fill in the details. Um, so thank you, thank you, Tyler. First of all, this has been wonderful and i'm so glad that we had the chance to meet you and hopefully we'll cross paths in the future through this this network of um, this great community so in terms of wrapping up we are always open to hearing suggestions from listeners so you can reach out to us what is it <laughs> fidgetpodcast at gmail.com or instagram at fidgetpodcast you may have seen we have a trailer on the fidget podcast.com website we also have the domain now which is exciting uh lots of changes in recent weeks one thing that i uh thought i would say from hearing it on other podcasts is that uh, receiving reviews from listeners is actually a really great way for us to become more easy to find to other people who might suffer from bfrbs who might be googling BFRBs and we'd love to to reach more people. So if you can take a minute and leave us a review and any comments, we would love that. What else? Um yeah, yeah. Uh we also are experimenting with a Patreon page. So if you uh love what we do and wanna see more of it, um please consider becoming a Patreon. And I want to give a huge thank you to Cheyenne, who, of course, made our logo, as well as Thomas, who did our outro music. And I can't think of anything else to say at this moment. <laughs> Seems <laughs> comprehensive. <laughs> so, thank yeah. you guys so much for having me. That was a blast. I feel like we could keep going. Until next episode. Until next yeah. episode. Part two. <laughs> Part two.